Welcome to the New Books Network. Confounding, exhilarating, and contagious. Emotions matter, and so does applying emotional intelligence. Welcome to Dan Hill's EQ Spotlight, the podcast where emotions rule. Whatever the topic, how do hearts and minds collide? Find out with your host, a college professor turned globetrotting EQ entrepreneur. His mission? Each week, Dan joins prominent authors in decoding how emotions drive outcomes and make people tick. Now, on to the show. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me for the 120th episode of my podcast, Dan Hill's EQ Spotlight. The series appears here on the New Books Network, which has as its motto, sharing knowledge so people can thrive. Today's topic is how to stay motivated. I'm joined by Ayelet Fishbach. She is the author of Get It Done, Surprising Lessons from the Science of Motivation. The publisher is Little Brown Spark. Dr. Ayelet Fishbach, PhD, is an award-winning psychologist at the University of Chicago's Booth School of Business and the past president of the Society for the Science of Motivation. Dr. Fishbach's scientific findings are regularly featured in the media. This includes the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, CNN, and NPR. Welcome to the show, Ayelet. Thanks for having me, Dan. Oh, absolutely. So let's get started. Uh, very briefly, what's a overview or summary of the book? Uh, the, the very short summary is how to get things done. Uh, the slightly uh, longer summary is uh, that, that this is a uh, a review of research in motivation science that offers a framework for um, how to uh, motivate yourself and others. And, and the framework has four parts, how to set goals, how to monitor progress uh, as one pursues these goals. Uh, the third uh, element is how to navigate multiple goals. And then uh, the fourth one is how to work with others and how to use social support and, and pursuing goals with others. Okay. And in your research, do you find all four of those parts are pretty much always of equal importance or in certain circumstances do one of those goals uh, prove to be or one of those four steps prove to be more significant in your experience? Yeah, it's interesting to think about it this way. Uh, well, it, it's not just my research. I uh, was. Uh, no, no, many, many others. Yes. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So I, I don't want to claim the field. I'm just one player uh, there. Uh, we find that all four are important, but uh, what might be critical for a given person in a given situation might be just one of them. Okay, and so we often look at. Uh, uh, what is the barrier? What's preventing someone from doing something that they would like to do? Okay, and you know maybe uh, they set the right goal and uh, they know how to monitor progress, but there is another goal that conflicts with this. So the problem is navigating multiple goals. Uh, maybe uh, uh, their their family is not supportive, and so the problem is is social support. Maybe the goal is not intrinsic, so it was not set correctly, and. Uh, to answer your question, uh, well, all four are important, but in a particular situation, it could be that one, two, three, or four are not right. 
Sure. Well, as a researcher myself and someone who's always been there for subject to the risk of uh, the, the messenger getting shot, uh, the feedback one was of particular interest to me because uh, I think we both recognize that one of the very human tendencies is to uh, avoid things, that, to deny bad news sometimes, to not accept the negative feedback. Uh, you mentioned the idea of learned helplessness uh, and that we need to be able to step into these situations and think we can turn them around. What's some of your advice or insights regarding uh, the feedback loop and, and how to make sure that's constructive rather than destructive? People are absolutely struggling to, to learn from negative feedback and they, they struggle both because it is emotionally uncomfortable and I think that you, you refer to this, it, it hurts the, the ego and, and also because it's cognitively a little bit more difficult to learn from negative feedback. So when you uh, you learn what's not, you need to infer uh, what is right and that's not as trivial as just repeating the, the successful uh, action. And so the, if there are barriers. Uh, uh, you mentioned uh, learn helplessness. This is uh, when people actually learn from negative feedback, but they learn the wrong lesson. Uh, they learn that they cannot do something instead of uh, what they, they can do uh, about it. A few remedies that we explored, uh, uh, let me mention one that addresses the emotional uh, barrier, and this is uh, uh, to to give advice to others based on, on your failure, based on your setback. Uh, when we ask people to give advice on something that they're struggling with, and by we, I mean that. Uh, I mean, Lauren, as Chris Winkler, and I, uh, when we ask people who were struggling with their finance, uh, with their uh, mental health, with a bodily weight to give advice, they were motivated by their own advice. They were actually often more motivated than uh, when they received advice from, from others. So this is one strategy that people can use. Uh, another strategy is uh, uh, to uh, observe others' uh, failures and, and, and others' uh, setbacks. And we find that when people can remove the ego, when they can see the failure, when it happens to someone else, they, they are much better able to, to learn. So uh, to give you an example, we found that when people guess the, the wrong answer to some question, they often don't learn that the right answer is something else. Okay? They often don't even remember which answer they have given. But when they observe someone else giving the wrong answer, it is actually much easier for them to say, well, I guess if it's not A, then it must be B, and, and, and they do learn. You know, I remember that very distinctly from the book, the fact that they, they didn't stay around, so to speak, once they didn't guess correctly. Uh, they just thought the, the, the quote-unquote game was over, when, of course, it's it's a really an important goal to you. It's more than a game, and you need to hang in there. But it's just it's tough for humans sometimes. I, I love the quote you had from Gramsci, history teaches, but it has no pupils. And uh, that, that's the struggle to avoid sometimes. Let's move on to um, how you frame things, because you had mentioned both trying to, uh, you know, sometimes you approach goals. Sometimes uh, getting to goals means you're also trying to strive to avoid some things. Um, so I was intrigued by that in part because uh, two really important emotions that I've observed over the years that are so common for people is happiness and anger. 
And if I look at Plutchik's uh, famous emotional wheel, the, the emotion that kind of stands between those two emotions of anger and happiness is vigilance. How important is vigilance to making sure that these goals are are fulfilling and you stay motivated? Well, all emotions are important. And in goal research, we often look at emotions as, as the feedback system. Okay, and so the, the question yep. is, is really what um, what is the signal here? Now, now it's interesting because emotion researchers often look at the emotion as, as a goal by itself, okay, so what, what do you do in order to, to be happy? But I, I'm a goal researcher, so I'm asking, what is the signal in being happy? What is the, uh, the signal in being afraid? What is the, the signal in being uh, vigilance? And all of these are basically meant to, to give us some information on uh, whether we are doing things that the right way, whether we are on the right path, basically uh, help us monitor progress as that we, we pursue our goals. But you, you briefly mentioned that approach and, and avoidance uh, goals, which are associated with, with different emotions, okay? there is more of uh, uh, no, happiness and, and pride for, for approach and more uh, vigilance for uh, avoidance. Uh, there is also a, a main effect where, in general, people are more intrinsically motivated for for approach uh, goals, for do goals. It's in general easier to do something than not do something. And to the extent that you have the freedom to choose how to set your goals, you can either say that you you want to I don't know eat more green vegetables or uh, eat less of something else that eat more, the do uh, goals tend to work better for most people most of the time. Okay, no, that, that makes sense. Um, speaking of kind of balances, uh, you specifically invoke at one point balance and consistency. Um, can you talk about those two terms? And I have a follow-up question for you. But how, how does balance and consistency matter in terms of motivation and, and goal setting and achievement? So when pursuing a, a single goal, you often need to decide whether to uh, keep going after you, you made some progress or uh, relax. They just like uh, disengage with the goal because you feel you, you have done a lot. When you have several goals that you are trying to navigate, like, you know, for example, you might uh, want to focus on your career and you also want to uh, spend more time with your family or uh, maybe you uh, you want to uh, uh, buy uh, uh, organic uh, uh, produce, but you also want to save money and they tend to be more expensive. And when you, you have two goals, then balancing means that you keep switching between them. You do a little bit of one and then a little bit of the other. And consistency means that you prioritize one over the other. So let's say always buy organic products. So always sure. ready so that you care more about so, it. So, so my, my follow-up question, because I thought this was really intriguing and probably not a question to get asked too often in interviews about the book. You, you mentioned at one point, you said, Catholicism allows for balance Calvinism advocates for consistency. So that's already intriguing in itself, and I'd welcome an explanation. But then if you might, I'm, I'm wondering if you can broad, broaden that to say, uh, how about Judaism, uh, Pentecostals, Mormons? Uh, anything more you'd like to say on that front? I just found that that was a really fascinating tangent. Got my yeah. attention. 
<laughs> so it, it's funny that you notice that because I am not uh, uh, talking too much about uh, religion, but the Calvinism are really interesting in uh, uh, advocating for, for consistency. Uh, most religions uh, have more of uh, of a balancing. Okay? So, uh, you know, uh, you, you can be uh, wrong and there is a way to come back uh, much less for uh, Calvinism. Uh, now, it, you asked about Judaism. It also depends on uh, how you, you think about balancing. If you think about coming back from the bed and being good, this is uh, very uh, central to Judaism. The idea that uh, once you, you hit low, you, you can come back, you can climb high. Uh, there even like, the idea that uh, you can go higher because you were at a low point, because you were not being a good person. So you have how to improve. Uh, but of course, uh, uh, the other trend, which is balancing uh, for being good by being bad, this is not something that Judaism or, or other uh, religions suggest that you will do. And so the, the balancing really goes from one direction to the other, the, the, the sins to that good behavior, not the good behavior to the sins. When we look at people's behaviors, they often think about balancing in both directions. Now, what comes to mind as an example is that people feel that you know, if they were, uh, let's say, uh, uh, being egalitarian and, and accepting someone who is different from them uh, in uh, uh, some part of their day or some part of their speech, then they often feel they can relax their guards and, and, and be less egalitarian and less uh, welcoming to someone who is different uh, later in the day or in a different part of their speech. Okay. So speaking of trying to, I guess, I'll say hang in there, uh, I'd like to touch on intrinsic motivation and a comment you made regarding that. Uh, it was the importance of having empathy for what you called your future self. Can you maybe unpack that for listeners so that make sure they know what you're, you're referring to there? So the, the empathy gap refers to our lack of empathy to the person that we are going to be in the future such that we are... Uh, we don't take into account their, their needs in, in the same way that we care for our needs in, in the present. And you know, just as a trivial example, uh, when you are traveling to a part of the world where the weather is very different, maybe it's cold for you now, but it's, it's hot over there, uh, you tend to not quite adjust, even though you can see that it's uh, at 90 degrees there, you're not going to quite pack the, the right kind of clothing because you are called where you are. And when we refer to this in general as the empathy gap. Now, when it gets to intrinsic motivation, it, it, it's interesting because people have the right insight that for them in the present, intrinsic motivation matters, okay? That uh, what gets me out of bed in the morning is that I'm excited about the conversation that we are going to have today, that I like to uh, work with my colleagues, that I am uh, working on interesting problems. So I know that that matters right now, that my work is not just for pay, it's also for the, the intrinsic motivators that are in it. But when people plan for the future, they don't quite take this into account. And you now when I ask my MBA students about their future jobs, they say that they will care about pay and, and benefits and promotion opportunities. 
they say that they will care about intrinsic motivation less in the future than how much they care about it for their present uh, job. I want to give you an, an, an example from a study when uh, Caitlin Woolley and I invited people to choose between listening to a loud alarm uh, or the, the song Hey Jude by the Beatles, the majority of the people chose the, the loud alarm because it paid more. Okay, so they were planning for the future and they said, yeah, you know, when in the future, when I do the study, I can listen to the, the alarm and, and get you know, more sense, whatever. Uh, but once they did that, they, they regretted their choice. And <laughs> the majority of the people that chose the loud alarm said, well, that wasn't a great choice. Yeah, no, sound, sounds to me like Freud was right. Uh, the pleasure principle does does mean something. I, I know I'd certainly choose Hey Jude as the way to open my day. Um, you, you also mentioned in the book the um, the importance of patience and uh, and the fact that as we get older, self-control gets a bit easier. Um, can you talk to us about the importance of patience and motivation and achieving those goals? Yeah, so... You know, patience is uh, is an interesting uh, goal conflict. Uh, it's it's a conflict between doing what feels good at the moment, or waiting so that I will do what will feel good later on. Okay, so uh, it, it could be as as trivial as uh, uh, not uh, eating my food when it's too hot. Okay, or not eating while cooking because I will enjoy it more if I can wait half an hour and actually eat the meal. Uh, to uh, uh, big life decisions such as uh, saving for retirement, uh, you know, pursuing uh, some advanced degree that might take a long time to to pay off. Uh, th these kind of decisions that involve between doing what feels good right now and uh, what will materialize uh, later on. And what we see is that there are mainly two barriers to making a patient decision. One is that uh, you just can't help it. Okay? You're just too tempted. Okay? That, uh, you're just too hungry not to, uh, to eat the food that is not quite ready uh, now and Know, and, and destroy your, your appetite for later, or uh, you just uh, can't uh, uh, no, wait, can't put the money in, in the saving account, you, you really want to use it now, and so you, you have later. Yeah, in, in other words, what Oscar Wilde said when he said, I can resist everything except temptation. Exactly. Okay. So, and, 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 and what's the second one? Yeah, okay. So this is like you just can't help it, okay? The other one, which I think is, is more interesting and often neglected, is that you just, you don't trust that, that the long-term benefits are actually there, okay? Or that, that you will care about them, okay? And so you, you know, when we think about uh, these like kids in the, like Walter Michel's delay of gratification paradigm, the marshmallow test, okay? So I've envisioned this child that can have one marshmallow now or two marshmallows later. And and they might not trust the experimenter. And, and many kids don't trust their, their adults in, in their lives that, now, if I don't take what I can get now, there will be something better later. Like the, the world is full of surprises. There is always uncertainty. And, you know, maybe if I don't consume what I can get right now, there is not much uh, that will uh, happen in the future. And 
accordingly, interventions to increase patients either uh, make it uh, easier if you are Oscar Wilde <laughs> or uh, increase your, your trust that it pays off to wait, that it, you value it, that you care. Sure. And of course, in, in business, it's often said that trust is the emotion of business. And yet for a lot of people to, to summon the patience and trust when you can see how corporate politics are sometimes played uh, and that uh, people can get downsized and bosses can disappear. Um, it's understandable why it does pose a barrier. Yes, many times people don't have uh, a good reason to uh, to trust, and, uh, and and you can't uh, blame it uh, for it. There is uh, um, some research by uh, Eldo Shafir and and his colleagues about uh, poverty and, and showing that uh, people with fewer resources often feel that saving will not. Be worthwhile because if I save money, uh, someone in my family is going to need that money, and uh, you know, and, and I will not be able to use it. And so, uh, uh, if I don't think that the money that I put aside will actually help me in in the future, if I think that someone will take it for me or convince me to give it to them, uh, then let's not save. Okay, let's enjoy the moment. Yeah, no, understandable in its way. So before we conclude here, I want to give you a chance if there's maybe a particular nugget from the book that you wanted to offer that my questions haven't uh, allowed for. I wanted you to have that opportunity to go there. Oh, so let me see. So we uh, talked about setting goals that are uh, intrinsically motivated, that are uh, and end in the, in themselves. That the way there is is enjoyable. Uh, we uh, talked about learning from uh, feedback, which is. Uh, part of what it means to monitor progress. Uh, we talked about multiple goals and when you want to be a, a consistent versus a, a balance. Uh, so let me just add that there is the, the social component. And it, I believe that a lot of the, like the classic motivation research uh, looked at the, the individual as, uh, as standing there by themselves, but humans are, are social animals and, and we do things with others. So I... Uh, would not like to neglect that. Uh, uh, we need role models. We need to coordinate our efforts with others. We need to think about how uh, the, the people in our lives are helping us pursuing our goals. Okay. I think that's entirely good place to, to wrap things up. So I want to thank you, Ayolette, for your time today uh, and for being my guest. This is Dan Hill's EQ Spotlight. It's been episode 128, How to Stay Motivated. Dr. Ayolette Fishbach is the author of Get It Done, Surprising Lessons from the Science of Motivation. If you've enjoyed today's show, please give it a rating or review on iTunes. Finally, I'd like to conclude every episode with an epigram. In this case, I took one from Winston Churchill, who said regarding motivation, if you're going through hell, keep going. Until next time, take care and be well. Mm-hmm.